This morning, we'll be reading from Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the word of the Lord. One of the challenges at the beginning of a new year, I know Tyler talked about this a little bit last week, but if you're one of those that sets New Year's resolutions or if you don't call them that, but you're just like, I want to focus on certain things that are assisting my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health. I want to set up some practices this year that are going to contribute to what it looks like to be a healthy person, holistically speaking. And as you begin looking through adding certain things and taking certain things away, you realize I don't have time in any given day, let alone a week or month or even a year, to do all the things that you want to do, let alone need to do. Many of you know that frustration, even the anxiety of getting to the end of a day or getting to the end of a work week and being like, I had all these things I needed to do and I didn't get them done. And now they're starting to back up on me and vacation even can start to feel oppressive because you're like, sure, I can take days off, which just means the pile is growing, right? I can't get everything done. Um, and you've, you've all probably heard the expression, God will never give you more than you can handle. Um, which just belongs in the junk pile of not Christian memes, because it's not true. God very deliberately and often gives us more than what we can handle with our resources so that we are dependent on him and understand I can't make it on my own. Well, as you're sifting through, and I hope, I hope you are doing this with some degree of intentionality of priorities and goals and objectives and like a couple focal points for your 2023, what do you prioritize? Like very simply, if, if there are a couple key things that in the course of a day or in the course of a week, you're going to get those things done, even if you're leaving other things undone, the first question is, what do you prioritize? And the second question is, why? Like why those things versus other things? How do you determine that you are going to say yes to certain things and say, this is important if I accomplish nothing else, yes to this, no to these other maybe also important things? Like what, what factors into your calculus as you're deciding what you do and don't do? 
Um, a part of what Jesus is talking about in this sermon, and, and Paul just read a, a bigger context than just verse 33 that we're going to focus on, but he's talking about there's a lot of anxiety in this life because there are so many practical things that you need and you will instinctively pursue. And if your focus is on those things, rather than depending on a father who loves you and who knows what you need before you even ask him, you can become very stressed, very anxious, very fearful about what you're not getting or getting done. Um, this morning and next week, at the beginning of this year, I want to just focus your attention on verse 33, where Jesus, our teacher, is saying, don't worry so much about all these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and essentially let, let the Father add these things to you as he sees fit rather than you making that your initial pursuit. And I want to come to this text, as I said, this week and next. This week talking about the kingdom. Next week talking about God's righteousness. And these are not nearly as boring of concepts or words as they may sound, kingdom and righteousness. I want to come to this text with a few questions. I want to ask, what does it mean to seek something in the way that Jesus is talking about seeking? What does it mean to seek something first? What is this kingdom that he's talking about that we're supposed to be seeking first? And then we'll kind of come back and put it all together and say, practically, tomorrow, when you go back to work or to school, what is that going to look like to seek first the kingdom of God? So, as I said, first of all, what does it mean to seek something? And we could immediately think of something like hide-and-go-seek, where it's like, well, of course, there's, there's people that are hiding. There's people that are missing. And to seek them means to go look for them. I hope it is clear that, that that's not really how Jesus is using the word seek here. It's not that something is missing or hiding and you're just literally seeking it, looking for it, okay? And there's a clue here in verse 32, right before verse 33, where he's saying the Gentiles are spending their time and their energy seeking food and clothing. Okay, so picture the Gentiles, and he's, it's, it's just a catch-all word for like the non-believers, right? And he's saying they're seeking food and clothing. They're seeking material things. And I think it's obvious that Jesus is not saying they're, they're going out looking like, Oh no, where is food? Where could I possibly find clothing? His point is they are seeking after those things. They're prioritizing those things. Their, their focus, their mental energy is on those things, material things. And I want us to think for a moment about why that is. You know, some of you are familiar from like a philosophy class with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, you know, at the, at the most basic level, you could say, well, a lot of people are seeking after material things simply for survival. You know, the most basic need is I need to be alive before I can accomplish anything else. And that's true that like even in our neighborhood, there are people seeking food and clothing and shelter literally for survival. That's not where probably most of you live. So we start climbing this ladder of why do we seek after certain things? And kind of a next level is that we seek material things for security or safety, for comfort. We keep climbing and there's a, a level where it's like, I have all of my basic needs taken care of. I'm surviving. In fact, I'm pretty well off. 
And so we start as a culture focusing on, I want these things for satisfaction, for contentment, or even above that for some kind of status or prestige. How our material goods signal to other people kind of our relative status and importance as our culture measures status and importance. Um, some of you may literally be fe- seeking material things because of like this YOLO of like, you know, you only go around once, so you might as well grab all that you can materially during your one trip around, right? Um, I think our culture today, different than the culture that Jesus was talking to, they may have been very focused on just the like security, safety, and basic satisfaction level. Our culture today is definitely on the like the pleasure and identity side of pursuing material things. In other words, we pursue things that make us feel good and we pursue things that make us look good. And you all can relate to that of like, how, how do I look to others with the life that I'm building and how do I feel about my own life with the life that I'm building? And there's a contrast here between what Jesus says. So the Gentiles are just instinctively seeking after material things to build this pleasure, to build this identity, to feel secure. He's like, but I'm calling you to pursue something different. And so we start to understand what seek means. It's like a a seeking after as a focal point or a point of emphasis or a priority. Um, To put it a couple of different ways, seeking after something is when a desire of your heart sets the direction of your life. So it's like, I, I want something, I have a desire So because I have that desire, it leads to a direction. Or because I have a priority, something's really, really important to me, it sets about a preoccupation or a pursuit. Okay, And I want to ask you, what what do you seek in that sense by default? Where it's like, these things are important to me. These things are important for my identity, how I want to perceive myself, how I want others to perceive me. These things are important for just a baseline, like I want to be content in life and I need certain things to be satisfied, to be content. Maybe they are material things like food, clothing, cars, house, or an apartment. Maybe it's experiences. And, you know, talking to younger generations than me, they're like, you know, your parents' generation and to a lesser degree, you pursue material things. We're about experiences, right? And they'll spend their money more on experiences like vacation or travel or something that's very relaxing or very fun, going to an event or an activity together. But you would say you're, you're building some kind of life around those experiences. Or some of you are seeking after relationships. And it may be a a type of relationship, like I would like to be in a dating relationship or I would like to get married someday or I would like to be a parent or maybe very specific, like I would like to be dating this person. I would like to be married to this person or I would like to build a business partnership with this person. So we're sometimes pursuing relationships. There could be like a pursuit of recognition, like I attain a certain level of education or pursue a particular accomplishment or award or achievement in my area of business. Um, Just to illustrate seeking after anything very practically, you know, many, many years ago, I was like, I want to seek after physical fitness. You know, I want to feel good about myself. I want to, like, look decent. I want to be able to move around and play with my kids and be strong and be healthy. And so because that's a pursuit, because that's a seeking after, 
it, it immediately is impacting all these different decisions of everyday life. I mean, not only are you like buying the, you're like, oh, well, Tony Horton looks good, so I guess I'll buy P90X. They'd be like, well, P90X isn't doing it, so I'll buy P90X Plus. Well, that's not doing it, but there is a P90X3 out now, so I'll try that. And then you're, you're eating differently, and you're shopping for supplements, and you're thinking more about sleep and things that produce overall health. You're tracking metrics of like, what is my weight and body composition, and how am I feeling today relative to a week ago or a month ago or three months ago? And that's very natural that when you're, again, when your desire is a particular thing and you're pursuing it, it leads to an entire direction that's impacting all these other things in life, okay? That's my point. So part of my point is, is not that many of those things that you would seek are in and of themselves wrong. And I want you to notice that in the text, that Jesus is not lambasting his disciples and saying, stop seeking other stuff, what's wrong with you? What he does say is, seek first the kingdom of God. As you're seeking a number of different things, as you're pursuing a number of different things, many of which are good things, he says, seek first. And so then we have to ask, what did, what did he mean by seek first? And I think there are two major ways that you seek something first. There's a first in time or sequence, like I'm seeking this before I'm seeking these other things. But there's also a first in prominence or status or rank that you assign to something. So that's like, I'm seeking this before I seek other things. I'm also seeking this above and beyond seeking other things. So seeking before is like an initial pursuit, but it's also the preeminent pursuit. And I think we could be very practical with this. And I'm trying to be intentional about this, even as I share this with you without making rules for you, just very simply, what's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? That's your first pursuit. Like you wake up, and I mean, it, it can be a habit for me. It's like my phone is charging by the bed, and it's like I wake up, and I'm just like not really awake yet and kind of bored and not, you know, that first several minutes of the day, am I the only one? And you're just kind of like doom scrolling, and you're like, this is an awesome way to set my day with priorities on you know, social media and the news, and, and that can be very natural. Um, and I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying, like, literally, like, I can make a habit of saying my first pursuit, the first thing I have to grab, the first thing I have to look up. For some of you, the stock market. For some of you, like, how many likes or shares did I get overnight on this thing that I posted last night? And we can find our identity. We can find our satisfaction in those things. Um, going a little bit deeper than the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, let's say you have 10 things to get done today. How do you decide what to do first? Or how do you decide what to focus the balance of your time and physical and emotional energy investing in? You know, they're, they're different like life coaches and they're like, well, do the smallest thing first and then you get like a quick win and it feels good and gives you a little jolt of epinephrine, you know, endorphins are kicking around your body. You feel good to take the next biggest thing and then the next biggest thing and the next biggest thing. Um, some people say, well, no, do, the, do the worst thing first and just get it over with. Other people are like, do the best thing first, the most enjoyable thing first, because, you know, if Jesus comes back at 10 a.m. and you did the worst thing first, <laughs> you know, you lost out. And, and others of you may be like, well, I have, I have core principles that guide 
literally what I do first and then second, what I focus on here, what I focus on there. But I, I think like without thinking about it, we're not thoughtful about the way we're attacking the day, approaching the day of like what, what are first things first. Certainly on a more serious note than that, I would say with your life as a total package of your life, what do you seek first? Like, what is the focal point of your attention, Jesus is saying, that it's like, this is my priority. And if I can only have one thing, if I can only be one thing, if I can only do one thing, I'm going to have and be and do this, or at least I'm going to die trying. And it's important to think about what is that most important pursuit, and then what's second, what's third, what's fourth, what's fifth. And I would literally encourage you to write these things down of just by default, what do I go to pursuing with a day? Is it success in my career? That's the main thing. Is it accumulating stuff? Whether just like money in a bank account because you feel better about that or material things. Is it the respect of your peers? That like that's a driving thing. Is it power? Is it control? Like, I just want to be in control of my life and control the situations in my life. And if there's one thing I'm pursuing right now, it's just simply being in control. What about having a happy, successful family? You know, many of you have kids and you're like, what's so bad about pursuing just a good, happy, thriving family as our culture probably defines those things? Some of you would say maybe the most driving thing right now is literally to have fun and to be fun. Or just doing whatever you want, okay? You got that thing in mind by default? This is the primary pursuit. This is the focus, the priority. Okay, now what does Jesus say about that thing in the text? He's basically saying, okay, you're, you are my disciples. You are my apprentices. Come and learn from me. And he's like, why in the world would you pursue and seek after the exact same things as everyone else, as if your father doesn't already know what you need and take care of you. Okay, so that's seeking, that's first. Now, what are those first things? I mentioned God's kingdom and righteousness. And that brings us to the third question, what is God's kingdom? Well, in the, in the simplest terms, in the most basic human terms, a kingdom is a piece of land. You know, it is a geographic territory ruled over by a king or a queen. So is that what Jesus is saying? Seek first the like, land or territory of God, and what would that even mean? Okay, um, Let me give you a little bit of Old Testament context that the listeners of Jesus, who was a predominantly Jewish audience, would have known. Israel, like God's covenant people, the, the 12 tribes originally, had a geographic piece of land that the Davidic kings actually ruled over. You know, it's the land that we think of as like Palestine or Israel today. And there's an Old Testament kind of theme of God's people living in God's place under God's rule. And that was the, the idea of a kingdom. God's people, then the Jews, living in God's place, the promised land, under God's rule. Now, that kind of brings in other concepts of like secondarily a kingdom is not just land or geography. It's like politics and there's a social structure and there are leaders and there are kings and governors and taxes and all these other things. So it's like, well, what, what would that mean if we're seeking God's kingdom and it's 
kings and queens and princes and taxes and social structure. Um, so I think coming back to the New Testament brings a lot of clarity, both for Jesus' original audience and for us. So as Jesus comes into the world and he says, like, yes, I'm, I'm in the line of the Davidic kings. I'm the rightful heir to the throne. I am the Messiah, the anointed one, who is going to sit on this throne. But you notice if you read the stories of the Gospels, if you know the stories of the Gospels, there's really no point in time where Jesus is seeking land, right? If you know the stories, he's not, he's not raising up an army and going and crusading. He's not fighting physical battles and saying, let's, let's reestablish some borders here. Let's build some walls here. In fact, he said in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. My kingdom is not from the world. So he's like, it's, it, it doesn't originate here. I don't get my authority from something here, and it's not all about land. Then we get this other clue that over and over again, first John the Baptist, and if you know John the Baptist is this character who comes right before Jesus and is the one that kind of introduces him. So he's this like flamboyant prophet, like kind of wild man out in the wilderness, preaching repentance and baptizing people. And when Jesus comes, he's like, okay, stop focusing on me. The attention goes to him. He is the one. He is the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And he says things like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus picks up that theme and is like, yes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus even said, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Which kind of obliterates this idea that it's just land or politics. He says it's in the midst of you. And what we learn from the Gospels that Jesus means is the kingdom of God has come near and is present because I'm the king and I'm here. Okay, I've, I've come, I've broken into your human history, generations of history. I've broken in, I'm present. And so I conclude something like this. God's kingdom is his inbreaking of mercy, of justice, of his sovereign rule that's begun to set all things right. And that becomes very clear in one of my favorite stories in the New Testament where I mentioned John the Baptist a moment ago, who's like, He's, he's him. He's the one. He's the one we waited. He's the king. He's the savior. Like, look at him. And yet there comes a time where John the Baptist stands up to the corrupt Roman government and finds himself imprisoned. And he's in prison, and he's in prison, and he's in prison. And as his disciples go back and forth with Jesus' entourage, they're bringing different stories to John, like, hey, Here's what he's doing. Here's what he's not doing. And John sends word to Jesus by his disciples. And he's like, basically in our vernacular, he's like, did, did I miss something? Did I get this all wrong? Like, I thought you were the king. I, I told other people you were the king, the Messiah. But, but here I am stuck in a Roman jail. You're not conquering territory. You're not fighting battles. You're not delivering me. You're not reclaiming territory. Jesus, I'm confused. Are you the one or should we look for another? And here's how Jesus answers in Matthew 11. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. 
lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What Jesus is saying is, number one, don't stumble over me because I'm not the kind of king that you thought I was going to be. But number two, he's saying, but make no mistake, just because I'm not waging the kind of war that you expected me to wage and take back land, make no mistake, I'm waging war. I have dominion. I'm taking back what's mine. And what you see in the Jesus story is he's basically saying to John, hey, where sin has broken bodies, I'm healing bodies. And where sin has broken emotions, I'm restoring hearts. And where sin has broken thoughts, I'm healing minds. And where sin has broken relationships, I'm reconciling and restoring parents to children and husbands to wives and Jews to Gentiles and, and most importantly, sinners to God. So he's like, don't make any mistake that my kingdom is here. I have broken into the mess. I have broken into the darkness. And I've come with justice, with mercy, and with my sovereign ability to put all things right. His answer to John is, because I'm king, brokenness doesn't win. Because I'm king, despair doesn't win. Cynicism doesn't win. Because I'm king, racism doesn't win. You know, ethnocentrism doesn't win. All the other isms, they don't win because Jesus is king. He's saying bullying and division and pride don't win because I'm king. Cancer doesn't win because I'm king. Sin doesn't win because I'm king. Death doesn't win because I'm king. Because I'm king and I have dominion, I win. That's Jesus' short answer to John. Like, it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to, but make no mistake, I'm winning. And by the way, we look to a yet future day, and Revelation talks about this, where Christ the King will return a second time. Not, not just in mercy, not to lay down his life to forgive our sins and to heal us, but he does return as a conquering warrior and judge and Revelation 11 says the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he shall reign forever and ever. So there is a future day coming that includes geography where God says I'm taking back all of what's mine and it includes this earth and it includes everything in it because I created everything in it. But for now, we look to this theme that basically the kingdom is Jesus saying, look, I, I have broken into your broken history. And I've shown you what justice looks like, what mercy looks like, what compassion looks like, what truth sounds like. And I'm beginning to make all things new. So if we put it together, what does it mean to seek first God's kingdom? I want to say this, um, not, not negatively first, but I want to say first what we tend to do instead of seeking God's kingdom first, and then I'll come back to a couple ways I think we do this, okay? Um, what do we do instinctively other than seeking God's kingdom first and foremost? Well, we pursue autonomy. And I would say in our, in our Western progressive culture, a culture like Denver, autonomy, like just self-will, self-rule is like the God. It's everything. People just saying no one can tell me what to do. I'm not arranging myself voluntarily under the authority of anyone. 
I want to think what I want to think. I want to call this good, and I want to call this evil, and no one else can tell me what I decide for myself is good and evil. I'm going to live for what I want to live for, and I would suggest to you that the reason there is so much conflict and division and hatred in our culture is because if I'm living for my autonomy and you're living for your autonomy and everybody's living for their autonomy, there's a lot of times that clashes because what I want, you're not letting me have what I want and vice versa. And so we decide to just hate each other and, and fight each other and slander each other and attack each other and criticize each other and condemn each other. Like they're the problem. People just should think like me and support my goal to be awesome and amazing and in charge, you know. Um, so that's our instinct is we want to be the kings and queens of our tiny little dominion. We want to call the shots. And when we're not doing that, when we're not just directly demanding by default to be in charge, the other thing we instinctively do without even thinking about it is we, we take that throne of our heart and we allow or even invite someone or something else to sit in that place and say, you can rule over my thoughts. You can tell me what I should desire. You can set my priorities for me. And I'll give you a couple examples so you know what I'm talking about. One that I see in the Christian church in the West all the time is simply saying the thing that can rule in our hearts is pop culture. Like, we're not even going to think about being motivated by, being shaped by the person and the word of God. It's just simply, this is what everyone watches. This is how everyone talks. This is what everyone eats and drinks. This is what everyone does for entertainment. This is what everyone is seeking after. And again, just by default, we fall into allowing the culture around us to shape our priorities. I'm going after this because what's so bad about it? Everyone's going after this. Yeah, I want this. Yeah, this is a major goal of my life. But what's so bad about that? Everyone's after the same stuff. And I would suggest that what sits on the throne of our hearts sometimes is a desire for acceptance, for affirmation, a desire just to fit in, to be accepted on the world's terms, just to be liked. What's so bad about that? And I would also suggest that you're not really that free to pursue Jesus because you're controlled by a God of popularity, by a God of just not ruffling feathers. Another one I see, and this is changing gears a little bit, but, but how often are believers, and I'm not questioning your salvation, I mean real believers, but instead of God sitting on the throne, what sits on the throne is a spirit of unforgiveness. Like, anybody deal with that? Just like, what I'm ruled by, functionally, is not the peace of Christ. But what I'm ruled by is contempt for someone who hurt me really, really badly. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm saying, I assume they did. And it was really painful. But you're not free to pursue Christ and be led by the peace of Christ because functionally the God sitting on the throne of your heart is resentment. And if you're not personally out for revenge, you certainly would delight to see them fail ingloriously or to be exposed. You know, so those are a couple examples of just like 
culture sitting on the throne or resentment, unforgiveness sitting on the throne. Now, positively, let me give you three things in closing. I think this is what it looks like practically to seek first the kingdom of God. Number one, seeking God's kingdom means surrendering to God's rule. Seeking God's kingdom means surrendering to the rule of Jesus Christ. So I think seeking the kingdom of God starts with simply acknowledging Jesus is king. And it, that probably sounds weird in this culture. Like, what do, you, what do you mean Jesus is king? Well, that's, that's what the Bible says. Jesus is king. And I mean not a king. He is the king. He is supreme. He is matchless. He is standalone in our affections. There are no rivals. There are no equals. We're just like, Jesus, I acknowledge your lordship. I acknowledge your kingship in my life. And I don't know if this helps anybody else, but it helps me to, to picture my heart, like the seat of my desires and affections is what I mean, not, not the physical organ, but like desires, affections, priorities. It helps me to picture this as a literal throne and just call it out. And I was trying to do it this week in preparation for this message of just different moments of like, why am I anxious right now? Why am I mad right now? Why am I impatient right now? And being able to say, because this is what's sitting on the throne of my heart right now. I am not functionally surrendered to the rule of Jesus Christ in this moment. I am functionally surrendered to, like my kids are not doing exactly what I want them to do when I want them to do it including this morning when I'm simply trying to review my sermon at home before coming to church. So seeking the kingdom of God, when I say surrendering to the rule of Jesus, here's a practice that we do all the time. Seeking the, seeking the rule of God is I identify what functionally is sitting on the throne of my heart, repent and replace, and invite Jesus to sit there. Okay, and by the way, we're not making Jesus king. He's king. All we're doing is acknowledging what is true. You are king over my life, but I want to functionally, in real time, with real decisions and reactions, give you the place that you rightfully deserve. So seeking God's kingdom means surrendering to the rule of Jesus Christ. Number two, seeking God's kingdom means understanding the rule of Jesus Christ. And here I'm just encouraging you, Learn everything you can about the master, about the savior, about the Lord, about your elder brother, Jesus. Because everything you learn about this is the king's character. Like these are the attributes that are true of Jesus. And then you say, these are his priorities. This is his agenda. These are his plans. When, when he was in authority on earth as he was, and we got to see him walking around and interacting with people, these are the kinds of things that he did. These are the kinds of things that he said. These were the core values that guided him. Okay? And what we're doing is, like, even as we say, Lord, I'm surrendering to you, but I want to learn over time more of what that means to be surrendered. Who is it that I'm surrendering to? And I'm not suggesting there's a chronology like you surrender first and then you learn. You may, like, I think, I think they're mixed up where you're, you're learning and that learning new insights about the personality, the forgiveness, the mercy of Jesus enables you to surrender more. And you're surrendering more and then you're eager to learn more. And it's, it's a relationship. You're doing this walk together. But this is the idea. The, the, the Bible uses this word of like we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And an ambassador is not someone who just has their own 
agenda and interests and priorities. There's someone who says, I've learned the agenda and the interests and the priorities and the character and the pursuits of someone else. And my job is to go and represent those things well, not come up with my own stuff. And that's why I say like pursuing, seeking the lordship of Christ, pursuing his kingdom means understanding the rule of Jesus Christ. I, I, I love this because we're, we're kind of back to this wisdom thing. If some of you, your idea of scripture or the Christian life is like there are just thousands of rules, like all these things you can't do and all of these things you're supposed to do. And that's, I mean, part of why we confess together, like God, I've sinned in the things I've done and I've sinned in the things I've left undone. That's, that's true. But I, I don't think the Christian life is so much about just like thousands and thousands of rules where every moment we're just like, wait, is there one thing that I'm missing? Whereas if you know the heart of the king, you know the character of the king, you know his priorities, you can walk into a thousand different situations and just say, here's a couple principles, like love God and love others. It really simplifies a lot of decisions where you may say, I don't know the specific will of God. And you may never know the specific will of God for that thing. But by knowing, by understanding the rule of King Jesus, you have all the information you need to do the next right thing that helps him grow his kingdom. And that's the final thing. So I said seeking God's kingdom means surrendering to the rule of Jesus. It means understanding the rule of Jesus. But finally, it means advancing the rule of Jesus. See, another aspect of being an ambassador and a key theme of this sermon from Matthew 6 is that we don't just personally submit to King Jesus, we advance his priorities. He's like, I'm the light of the world, but he says, but, but, but you're the light of the world now too, so let your light shine. And the idea is wherever you find darkness, you are advancing the king's light. And the darkness doesn't overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. So we're doing two things at one time by simply advancing the kingdom of God. We're pushing back the filth and the darkness and the brokenness and the sin and the death. And we're introducing mercy and justice and life and hope and light in all of those places. Advancing the priorities and passions of Jesus' kingdom. John Stott says this, I love it. There, there is something inherently inappropriate about cherishing small ambitions for God. How can we ever be content that he should acquire just a little more honor in the world? No. Once we are clear that God is king, then we long to see him crowned with glory and honor and accorded his true place, which is the supreme place. And we do this because we believe that if other people surrender to the kingship of Jesus and understand the kingship of Jesus, their lives don't become dominated. Their lives become liberated. They become truly free and hopeful and healed and in the process of renewal with us. Okay. Also in this same sermon, remember just a few verses earlier, Jesus is teaching us to pray. And he gives us this model prayer. Many of you could recite this from memory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me suggest that as Jesus is calling us, one of the most important things you could possibly pray over and over as a daily habit is, Jesus, your kingdom come here in Denver as it is in heaven. Then we work for the same things we're praying for. 
We pray, Lord, your kingdom come. We work, Lord, your kingdom come. And if you're a God of justice, let me pray for and work justice. If you're a God of compassion, let me pray for and work compassion. If you're a God of truth, and we could, we could go right through these attributes and say, because I'm knowing more about you and I'm surrendered to you, now through my life, I'm pushing back the darkness with more of his light and there's more hope and there's more change. And I want say just how practically this is. Like Tyler's out this morning picking up trash out here. And there's, there's something where you could be like, man, this, this is just picking up trash. And Tyler, I was thinking this when I saw you. So I'm encouraging you in front of everybody, okay? I hope it encourages you. Um, picking up trash is not just picking up trash. When you're like, something that is true of the kingdom of God is that he's breaking in with something clean, something beautiful, something well-ordered instead of chaos and messes and destruction, then picking up trash is no longer just picking up trash. It is advancing the kingdom of God. And I'm not trying to be silly. You're advancing the kingdom of God when you see one broken life and you take time for one conversation or a word of encouragement to say, I'm going to push back darkness in this little corner of downtown. We as a church are going to push back darkness. You and your individual lives and your families and your gospel community groups, you're going to do little things and big things that are advancing the kingdom of God, not just holding pat and wringing your hands and saying like, well, it looks like, looks like the graffiti warriors are winning. Every time we paint over the graffiti, we're advancing the kingdom of God. I mean, assuming it's horrible graffiti, which 99% of it is, okay? I'm not talking about art, okay? I'm talking about graffiti. Um, we're painting over it. We're advancing the kingdom of God, okay? Okay. Um, and what I want to do is just say, like, as you go back to vocations and work tomorrow, and we are a church that very much wants to invest in your faith and work and vocation and calling, I want you to even think about that work that you do differently because it's not just doing that thing that you do over and over. It's not just teaching that class or tabulating that spreadsheet or leading that conversation or binding up that wound or doing that surgery or all the things that you all do. It's not just stocking those shelves. There are ways where we can say, my king is a king of shalom. He has brought peace. Shalom. I love that word, shalom. Um, total well-being. And so I'm going to pray for that total well-being, but I'm also going to work for that total well-being and reconciliation in my relationships, healing of conflict and division, contributing to the common good, doing all these things in a way that ultimately points to King Jesus as ultimate and not my own actions as if they're self-referential and self-rewarding. Okay, so the kingdom of God is this inbreaking of Jesus, the king, to say my rule is sovereign, but it's also just, merciful, true, peace-giving, hopeful, all these things. Seeking first God's kingdom is saying, God, I want to earnestly pursue and participate in your inbreaking. So that things in my orbit of my one little life and my family and us as a church are starting to look more like your kingdom and less like the messy kingdoms of this world. Okay? Can we make that a priority this year just to say, what sits on the throne of my heart? Jesus, we want to advance your kingdom, not our own.